When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. If you travel, you know when it comes to love. See you soon. Can't wait. The sky is no limit. You know with your Delta Amex card, being oceans apart means meeting in Aruba. And booking a war travel with your card means saving 15% on Delta flights. You know kissing under the bridge of size guarantees eternal love. Because you're the long-distance lovebirds. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Takeoff 15 discount not applicable to partner-operated flights or taxes and fees. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by audible.com a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week we come to you from the Carnival Paradise, sailing to and from Cuba. And joining us on the phone, uh, the president of Carnival Cruise Lines, Christine Duffy. Hey, Christine. Hi there, Peter. How are you? I'm doing just fine. You know, it, it, I go back to Cuba since well, as far back as 1978. That's when I first went. Uh, I was there to interview, actually, Fidel Castro and have been back many, many times. And every year was sort of like, wait till next year, wait till next year. It's going to open up. It's going to open up. Well, it finally did. Um, and I know, and, and you know, because you've been in this business so long, that it, for, for an island nation that is so close to Florida, uh, it would seem such a natural for the cruise industry because it's, in, in a sense, another Caribbean island and easily accessible. Um, and, and yet people didn't understand that the infrastructure issues in Cuba, there were only 60,000 available hotel rooms. Uh, so, and those were already filled with European travelers. I mean, it wasn't that, that they were suddenly waiting for us. And so when the door started to open up, uh, you know, we had so many airlines jockeying for position to fly to any one of eight or nine different Cuban airports from many U.S. cities. 
what they found in pretty short order was that as much as there was demand to go there, there wasn't availability to stay there. And so a number of airlines either eliminated service or cut back on it. But at the very same time, the Cuban government opened the door and said to the cruise industry, hey, guess what? You can come. And, and you're going. And you're going in a big way, aren't you? Yes, we are. And we're actually bringing uh, the biggest uh, ship from the U.S. into Havana. Give me an idea. I mean, we know how many you know passengers this ship carries, but you have more than one ship. In fact, you're the biggest player on the block. Well, yes, Carnival Cruise Line uh, this year will carry close to 5 million passengers aboard our fleet of 25 ships. So Carnival Paradise, which is the ship that uh, we have going into uh, Cuba, uh, leaving from Tampa is, uh, you know, again, it's it's the largest ship that will be coming from the U.S. into Havana. It's actually one of our smaller ships that we sail in the fleet. Right, because it's it's also it's a ship that was actually built 20 years ago, and and uh, and yet 20 years ago it was one of the biggies, right? I mean, 20 yeah. years ago, I mean, today you have ships that have four or five thousand passengers. Paradise doesn't have that. It's got what about 2,500? Yes. Yes, and so it, it's one of the ships that will fit into the pier that we've got in Havana, um, and I think it's also a ship that, uh, given uh, the home port that it has in Tampa, uh, was very attractive for um, drawing the community of people even in Tampa, that many of whom have uh, Cuban heritage. You know, Cuba notwithstanding, I go back to, to uh, 9-11, when, you know, the travel industry was brought to its knees, except for the cruise industry, because you could re- reposition, literally reposition your assets and move them to U.S. ports. Uh, many cities didn't even know they had ports in that regard, but you did. And all of a sudden, cruising became a drive-to destination, didn't it? Well, and I think especially for our brand, Carnival Cruise Line, we've worked really hard over the years to position ourselves as America's Cruise Line with more than 14 U.S. home ports that we've developed. 50% of the U.S. population can drive to a Carnival Cruise vacation in five hours or less. So we've really created a, an amazing vacation experience that is affordable and accessible, particularly for people um, who don't want to go through the hassle or, or the expense of, uh, of buying airline tickets when they're traveling with you know, families and children and grandparents. Yeah, you know, because in the old days, and the old days are probably what five years ago, if you, if you want to laugh. I mean, you know, to take a cruise for so many people meant packing suitcases, getting to the airport, flying somewhere, hoping that your bags are on the same flight that you were, um, and then you know racing to catch a ship. Now it's 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 a for so many people it's a different experience. It is, it is, and I think uh, it's become. One of the reasons it's so popular for families that uh, are traveling and looking for great value, great experience, and the accessibility that cruising has to offer, especially with the idea that you're able to visit so many destinations on a single trip. Let's talk about demographics because who, who, who I, mean, I know this is a relatively new thing for you, Cuba, but who's taking the cruise? Are you finding it's multi-generational? Are you finding it's, it's, it's skewing a little bit older for people who have always wanted to go? Or is, or is it a very young crowd? I wouldn't say it's a very young crowd that's going to Cuba. I think it's really a mix of people. 
many of whom have had uh, a desire to visit Cuba. It's a new destination for people who have been avid cruisers. As you said, it's another island in the Caribbean that most people have not been able to visit. We've not been able to bring our guests there. So as we've said all along, we believe there is pent-up demand um, and a lot of excitement for visiting a new destination, and particularly in Havana with all of the visuals and uh, history, I think we have a lot of people very excited to be able to uh, to visit. And on the shorter cruise that we're offering, not having to take a week of vacation, to be able to leave from Tampa, sail to Havana, see Havana, stay overnight, uh, and and then get back over a long weekend or a four or five day trip is is really great value and a really exciting opportunity. You know, I, I was talking to so many different ministers of tourism for other Caribbean countries, and they were scared. You know, when the Obama administration relaxed the rules on who could go and, and under what auspices, they were, they were convinced that their numbers of visitors would drop precipitously as the needle would move and everybody would want to be first on their block to go to Cuba. And some of that actually did happen. But to what extent are you looking at your itineraries, not just for the ship that we're on, the Paradise, but some other ships— to include Cuba as part of a longer Caribbean itinerary? Well, especially for us, we've and we've said this to our partners in the other de- Caribbean destinations, we think the addition of Cuba into an itinerary, whether it's a short cruise or long cruise, is actually a great, exciting new development for everybody in the Caribbean. Because while there may be, you know, not everybody wants to go on a seven-day cruise and, and visit a number and only go to Cuba, uh, the opportunity, given the location of Cuba, to be part of an itinerary that includes other Caribbean destinations really should lift, no pun intended, uh, all ships. Uh, we also have five-day cruises that feature a stop in, in Cozumel or Key West. So I think the positioning of, of Havana and Cuba really plays well to people who might consider a different kind of vacation altogether and not even a cruise. Having this opportunity to bring people to a brand-new destination like Cuba, I think, is a big draw. So basically, with all pun intended, it's an extra added attraction. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. We're talking to Christine Duffy, the president of Carnival, Carnival Cruise Lines. You've been, right? Yes. What was the no, biggest surprise? No, actually, no. I'm sorry. You- I was supposed to go on our inaugural sailing, and I missed it. I am going next month, but my team, obviously, uh, ha- many of whom had never been, uh, went on the first sailing, and people are just blown away by um, the the welcome, uh, the people of Cuba, I think, is the main thing that I hear about, uh, and just how welcoming and excited the people in Cuba are to have us. So what you're saying is an admission by the president of Carnival Cruise Lines that you missed the boat. <laughs> the ship, Peter. Remember, the ship. <laughs> I know, but I had to use the boat on that one. Come on, you got to give me yeah. that. you got to right. give me that. But what kind of feedback are you getting from the government there? Because clearly, at the end of the day, there's a financial component to this, given the fact that tourism and travel is the largest industry in the world. This is a big deal for Cuba, uh, because they, if you look at, you know, it's not sugar production, it's not rum, it's travel and tourism. 
Well, I think we've had a great welcome and a great working relationship with the ministers uh, and other government officials in Cuba as they've opened up uh, under the Obama administration, uh, having not only uh, U.S. travelers coming in and staying at hotels, but in particular crews. Uh, So as you know, Carnival Corporation with Fathom was the first uh, U.S. brand to sail into to Cuba. And so we've built up a relationship over time. Uh, I think they're really looking at how they manage that growth and capacity um, based on the infrastructure that they have in place, particularly for crews. But I think they're very excited. And I think we all believe this is a long game that we're playing. This is not, you know, what where we are today is really just in the very early stages and first steps uh, of, of developing um Cuba again as a as a tourist destination. Toto, have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. As I said at the open of the show, I've been coming to Cuba since 1978. I've been one of the lucky ones. I've seen all the changes, and I've also seen all the things that haven't changed, which actually makes me want to come back even more. And, you know, it's it's one thing to say you've been. It's one thing to say you've actually been to the whole country. Uh, Cuba is the largest island in the Caribbean. People don't realize that. When I was a kid uh, growing up, and here's where I got a chance to date myself, we were all propagandized. Everything I saw in Cuba was a black and white photo. Castro looked like he was four feet tall. And in 1978, when I came down here to interview him, he was 6'5". People didn't realize that. One of the most charismatic uh, people I've ever met in my life, a, a true nationalist. Some would call him later a communist, but first and foremost, he was a nationalist who only wanted the best for his country. And when you take a look at their literacy rate, look at their health care, it's remarkable considering the fact that we had an embargo against them since 1961. They were still able to do that. And now, thanks to the Obama administration relaxing the rules, and those rules, by the way, are still relatively relaxed, a ship like the Paradise can take people, American tourists, to Havana. And you get a chance to see, for the very first time for an overwhelming number of them, to see Cuba. And joining me now, who's who's really Carnival's big cheese when it comes to onshore experience and uh, when it comes to, to Cuba especially, is Rosa Maria Caballero. Did I say that right? Caballero. Yes. A New Yorker, by the way, who's on the ship with me right now. This really is a brave new world, isn't it? Absolutely. In what way? It's a country that has been closed off to Americans for over 50 years. And there's a lot of curiosity and um, a lot of interest in visiting Cuba. When did you first come? My first visit to Cuba was about 15 years ago because I am Cuban-American and I came to visit family. And you were able to do so? I was. So your eyes must have been wide open 15 years ago. Yes, absolutely. Because my parents had never come back, have never come back. And I had only heard about Cuba through their memories and their stories about Cuba. So when you came back, what was the thing that surprised you the most 15 years ago? I would say the, the people and just the, the, uh, the music and the um, happiness and the welcome, the warm welcome that everybody gave us. I think I, I would share that with you. When I first came in 1978, I expected to come into a country that was angry at us, that was mean at us, that didn't want us to be there. It was just the opposite. Absolutely. I mean, they, they welcomed you. 
Absolutely. And they welcomed our guests a year and a half ago when we came for the first time. It was unbelievable. And when you say your guests for the first time, let's put that in perspective. Even though this is one of the first cruises of Carnival Paradise, uh, it is not the first time that Carnival has been to Cuba. Uh, another division of the company, a, a cruise line called uh, Fathom, mm -hmm. uh, had a ship called the Adonia, smaller ship, about 700 passengers, yes, I believe. Correct. Uh, made that first cruise over a year ago. Correct, in May 2016. Right. And that really opened the door. Yes. Uh, except on, on uh, when that ship came in, you were the only ones that, uh, uh, as a U.S.-based company that had been given a license by the Cubans to do it. Correct. Uh, and then after the election in November of 2016, when Donald Trump made at least the inference that he might want to reexamine the Obama-Cuba policy, the Cuban government said, really? And opened the door and said, any cruise line, come on in. Pretty much. That's the way. I think there were conversations for a long time. But right. yes, that was the uh, was like impetus that. to go. make it happen. It was like, Let the horses leave the barn now. Mm -hmm. And they did. Yes. So we're on a ship with 2,500 passengers. 2,490 of them, I think, have never been to Cuba. I'm taking you and out of that mix. You know, you know, yes. Right. So it's a first time. Absolutely. They're, they're excited. Very excited. A lot of interest. You know, some caution, not knowing what to expect because it's just it's an unknown. They don't have friends who've been to Cuba that could tell them about Cuba. I mean, it is an unknown. Um, and people come back just thrilled and, and um, want more. Now, Carnival still has to perform under the Treasury and Commerce Department regulations, the, the Often of Foreign Assets Control. Pastors have to sign an affidavit that basically says, I am literally going on a people-to-people -people educational group organized scheduled trip. Yes, there's. I mean, there's 12 exemptions, and our passengers can travel to Cuba under any of those 12. So, for example, you're on board as a journalist. Um, I'm on board, or I'm traveling as for business. Um, but yes, most of them come for the, under the people-to-people -people exemption, and which is the, sorry, which is currently divided into two. One is the sponsored with the organized or, uh, excursions, and then the other is the self-guided people-to-people. Although, if I understand the new Trump regulations, the individual trips are being cut down. That will happen once the regulations are issued. That's his, that was what he announced, right. but we have to wait for the regulations but, to come out. But, but assuming yes. that's what I'm hearing, yes. then you guys won't be affected. We won't be affected. Our passengers will be impacted in the sense that they will have to do sponsored. Yes. They will have to do our shore excursions. Right, but they still can go. Yes. Give me an idea of the shore excursions that you're doing, because every cruise line has shore excursions, but these are particularly crafted shore excursions. They are. I mean, we have everything from starting from outside of Havana. We have a excursion that goes to a city called Las Terrazas, which is about an hour outside of Havana. Beautiful community that was created in the 60s or 70s under Castro's Green Revolution. And there's an, a small artist community there, an old coffee plantation, a community center, doctors, uh, schools, restaurants, everything within this one community. And, and then the you have, of course, Tropicana for those people who don't remember the crazy nightclub. You just go see Godfather Part Two to see that. Yes. That hasn't changed. That, that has, has not, not changed. changed. That's an evening the excursion. Nightclub, yeah. That's an evening excursion after our passengers have done their people-to-people -people Because that doesn't qualify. Day. That does not qualify. Right. So but it's in the evening after you've done your people-to-people -people experience. I got it. Although up until recently, I have to tell you that the people-to-people -people experience under the Obama administration rules were so loose, 
that I could basically go to a bar and talk to my bartender about my mojito, and that qualified. Now that's going to change. Well, that, it never qualified. It was always supposed to be meaningful. It was, inter- it's always it was the most to- meaningful mojito I've ever had. <laughs> well, I can't speak to that, but <laughs> it was... I just did. <laughs> but, the, but the point is, that, that obviously will be changing. Yes. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. Joining me now, the editor-in-chief of Travel Weekly, one of our regulars on this show as well as on our PBS show called The Travel Detective, Arnie Weissman. Arnie, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Here I am on a ship that three years ago would not have been sailing here, although I think it's safe to say that, more than safe to say, it's a fact that there wasn't a cruise line based out of the United States that didn't have contingency plans already drawn up uh, for this moment to finally happen where they could sail into Cuba, and not just into Havana. They went out and charted, I think, eight viable harbors so that they had options to go anywhere once the rules were changed. And under the Obama administration, the rules were changed. And now I'm on a ship with about you know 2,500 passengers, all of whom are on the ship for only one reason, because of Cuba. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's been a big success for the, the cruise industry. In fact, uh, there's what's, what's interesting about that product and how it's developing is that one of the, I think, real positives about cruising to Cuba is that because the internal infrastructure is not very developed uh, to all the different places that people would want to go, to visit these ports along the way is a great way to see it. You're guaranteed uh, a good, uh, comfortable place to lay your head. Um, And you're also seeing a lot of short cruises. These are essentially one overnight and in Havana, proving very, very popular. And uh, so you're, you're seeing them coming out of Miami, uh, and a lot of times they'll, they'll have a, uh, a, a stop in the, in the Bahamas or in uh, Key West and one overnight in Havana. So you're seeing a diversified range of products coming into uh, Cuba. And uh, with the restrictions that are being put in, uh, in place, it reduces the options that Americans have who want to visit Cuba. Cruising seems to be a very good option. And, you know, here we are on a ship that, that proves that point. Uh, I thought it was interesting. You know, you mentioned infrastructure, Arnie. Let's go back. Uh, you know, there were only, a year ago, about 60,000 available hotel rooms in the entire country of Cuba, most of them in, in Havana, um, most of them already filled with business travelers or tourists from every other country other than the U.S. Um, and so by opening the door to Cuba... It didn't necessarily, and of course, every airline lined up to get those rights, and every airline figured out a way to get those rights by not just flying to Havana, but to fly to maybe seven other airports in the country. And then in short order, some of those airlines canceled that service, or in many cases, they reduced that service, and it goes right back to infrastructure. If there are not enough hotel rooms, getting off an airplane doesn't help you because you got nowhere to go. Yeah, and, and, and to your point, uh, the last time I was uh, in Havana, which was uh, a little more than two years ago, uh, I got what I think might have been the last hotel room uh, in Havana. I was I had I really uh, had a travel agent searching, and they ended up booking me uh, 
I had a lovely honeymoon suite all to myself with a <laughs> heart-shaped bathtub and everything. But it was it was the only place I could find. So yeah. The, so you uh, had so, so you had a that is a problem. You had a honeymoon for one. Um, yeah, that's right. But well, listen. Speaking of honeymoons, my parents honeymooned in Havana in 1947, and uh, I, I had uh, a couple of years ago, um, actually a number of years ago, my mom was still alive. And uh, I was going down to Cuba, and I asked her, hey, you know, you and Dad honeymoon there, didn't you? And she said, hold on a second. And my mother kept everything. And I mean, she kept her 1956 income tax returns, right, just in case. And she opens up a file drawer and pulls out the hotel bill from their honeymoon in 1947 at the Hotel Nacional, the Meyer Lansky Hotel. Uh, Right. And so I write down the room number. I go down there. I was then working for NBC. I go down there. I've got a crew there. We got them to open up that room, and uh, I went in. And other than a very old model, a very legacy model of a touchtone phone and a small uh, legacy model of a color television set, nothing in the room had changed since 1947. Um, And so now what you have is a lot of development, but you're still talking two to three years away from from a lot of new rooms coming online. Uh, They're building up the port. But it, it wasn't. It's not capable of handling a lot of ships. A lot of ships will have to tender out, um, and and then you've got the, the airlift situation. So, where I am right now on a cruise ship is the solution in at least for the next couple of years, and that's why so many cruise ships are going now. They're all going because yeah. they don't need a hotel. Yeah, yeah. No, it it's really uh, especially with kind of again the question being thrown into the mix because of the changes in the, the executive order changing what the rules were from uh, Obama uh, orders, it has been a it, – it makes people a little uncertain. And so you wanted people who are going to be traveling don't like uncertainty. Surprise, surprise. And a cruise ship uh, takes away all of that. I know. But it's a good appetizer, right? It's, it's, a, good yeah. first, it's a good first course. Um, I mean, on, on the ship they were on, you know, it basically leaves Tampa uh, at, you know, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And by 11 o'clock the next morning, you're in Havana. You're there for just 24 hours. Uh, so you're overnighting. And then you're at sea for a day and you're back to Tampa. So for people who might have been afraid to go to Cuba or for people who don't know much about it but still have great interest, um, it's uh, it's no different really than, you know, those three-day cruises to Mexico with one exception – we didn't have a ban on travel to Mexico, yeah. But, right? Yeah, and I think the cruise lines are seeing that that pent-up demand uh, is is there. And uh, what the airlines saw was that the demand was there, except there was no place to put people, and that that affected uh, that, that affected very much their profitability on on those routes. And the recent, you know, changes in the policy that were introduced by by President Trump just a couple of weeks ago. It really hasn't had much impact on the, on the bulk of American tourists because they're still going under Treasury-sanctioned programs, uh, U.S. Department of Commerce-approved programs, the Office of Foreign Assets uh, having to approve that as well, um, on what comes under the umbrella of a people-to-people educational mm-hmm. exchange program. Right, right. And that's... That, um Again, if the, if the rules are followed, then no problem. But people don't really want to have to be the ones who have to figure out the rules, and cruising sort of takes care of that for them. 
It does. And, you know, under the Obama rules, the, the, you know, you didn't have to go in a group. Uh, you could just go by yourself, meaning right. you could also fly in. And you just had to basically sign an affidavit that said you were there for educational purposes and have cultural exchange and to have a people-to-people you know, experience. But under those rules, that people, exp- people experience, I mean, everybody was looking the other way, meant uh, having a conversation with your bartender about your mojito qualified. <laughs> Right, there was all you were you were self uh, self credential. Yes, I'm I'm, I'm homeschooling. <laughs> yeah, right. homeschooling in the mojito department. Um, the only difference now is is there are organized programs on the cruise ship that fall under the approved categories, and every cruise ship is doing it, um, and everybody qualifies. So nothing really has changed. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a uh, it, the, the the ones who are. Benefiting, I think, from the new rules are tour operators who also understand all of these things. Um, but the, the cruise line takes care of the accommodations, the, the meals, and everything, uh, very little, leaving very little up in the air. So if people are looking for a safe, if they're looking for a, a, a seamless uh, introduction to a once-banned island 90 miles off the coast of Florida, cruising's not a bad way to go. Uh, but I also want to encourage them that it really is the appetizer, and you owe it to yourself to do what I've done and what Arnie's done and a lot of other travelers have done is to go back and do a little more immersive approach to a fascinating country. Absolutely, and huge country. Most people don't realize it's, it's actually three times the size of Ireland. It is a lot to see and do. Riding along in my automobile My baby beside me at the wheel and playing the radio with no particular place to go. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. I've been coming to Cuba since 1978. That's almost 40 years. Yes, I am that old. Uh, when I first came here, I came here to interview Fidel Castro and, and, uh, and with, with very, very few exceptions, what I see on the streets today, what I see in the architecture today, what I see in the cars today, what I see in the energy today, uh, is roughly the same as I saw then. Obviously, things have changed. Uh, there's new infrastructure. Uh, you can actually get phone calls. In many cases, you can start to use your credit cards, American bank-based credit cards. Uh, the door has opened up. Uh, cruise ships are coming in at record levels uh, with American passengers. Uh, airline services increased. And along with that, of course, infrastructure has to change. Uh, for years, there are only about 60,000 available hotel rooms in Cuba. And what Americans didn't realize was that most of those rooms were already occupied by European travelers who had been coming for years. So the fact that, that at one point the Obama administration relaxed the restrictions didn't mean that we're, there were suddenly 60,000 hotel rooms available. They're not. Uh, there may be a reason why there are about 8,000 listings on Airbnb now in Cuba. But if you're looking for a luxury hotel, 
up until recently, you had the Hotel Nationale, which was a beautiful but fading masterpiece, going back to the Meyer Lansky days. And as I said earlier, but worth repeating, my mother and father honeymooned there in 1947. And, uh, but yes, you should go there and have a mojito and relive a little bit of history. But where I'm talking to you from now, located in really the uh, in Old Havana, which is a UNESCO-protected site, is the Kempinski Hotel. And joining me now, the Chief Operating Officer for the Americas for Kempinski and also the General Manager for this hotel, Xavier Destrovats. How are you, sir? Hello. How are you, Peter? Welcome. I should say, Xavier, anytime you wanted to come to Cuba, whether you were American or not, it was an adventure, it was a challenge, it was, it was an experience, and it was memorable. Uh, so much of that flavor still is here. But then there's the, the challenge of opening a brand new hotel with Western uh, expectations, I should say. Uh, that must have been a challenge for you. Well, it's been, um, we had all the backup from the uh, owning company. Uh, I have to say they have not spared any dollars to build the best infrastructure. As a matter of fact, you could move this hotel tomorrow to New York, to Paris, to Barcelona, and it will be the best hotel as far as facilities is concerned, are concerned. And, uh, and for the rest, um, yeah, it's maybe a little bit more difficult because you see time to get some furniture or some materials here is a little bit longer than if you are in the Western Hemisphere. But otherwise, um, we, I think we did it and uh, with the team and uh, the support of the group and the corporate office, uh, we managed uh, in uh, record uh, three months to open the hotel. Now, I say this is a new hotel. This is not a new building by any means. No, the building is actually started in 1874. It was uh, first a shopping arcade, and then after that... At that the was Manzana. That was Manzana. Which uh, was Apple. Apple, Apple. But a Manzana means Apple, but also in Spanish it means like a block in the U.S., a block of, uh, of houses, of streets, una, masa, una Manzana. And then after that it becomes, there was a silent cinema on the second floor, and then after that from the second to the fifth floor was a primary and a language school up to five years ago. Wow. So this well, building is iconic. The people is really in the heart of the Cuban people because a lot of people came here to study, and it's emblematic. And uh, it was also one of the buildings where, uh, in the, when the revolution started, where many things happened. So much history here. Correct. So you had to be very, uh, very sensitive to the design, to the architecture, because it's a protected building. Yes, and as a matter of fact, before you go, please don't miss on minus one, we have part of the wall. The hotel is built on part of the wall, which the Spanish built, uh, you know, 300 years ago. And we kept the wall and we, did, we created a museum. Uh, we created a museum with some of the pictures and explaining the evolution of the wall from the construction to today. Before you came here, I, I'm going to make an assumption, uh, Xavier, that I would make about myself, that I knew a little bit about Cuba, that I'd studied it in school, I knew about Fidel Castro, I knew about the revolution, about Batista, about his diplomatic relations with or without the United States. But when you first came here, what was the biggest surprise for you? The, the good heart and the warm heart of the people. The, the, the Cubans are, are, with all the difficulty they've been having for many years, they're really good people, they are, they are gentle people, they have a good heart. They are smiling, and, um, and I think that makes a difference. They're hopeful. They are helpful. And hopeful. And hopeful very much, too. Very much, too. And, um, you know, they, they say, well, what's happening is happening, and, uh, yeah, exactly. We think we'll get better. 
Well, and they have gotten better. Definitely, they had. I mean, even since I came the first time in August last year, I mean, the the, the internet was 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 difficult to get, and you had to pay four dollars for an hour. In our hotel, for example, we introduced free internet for all our guests um, and with a high-speed resolution, so this is good. And uh, the, the facilities of the hotel, I mean, we have high ceilings, this is part of the building, but all the furnitures and all the equipment is really something new, which, uh, as you mentioned before, tourism was not used uh, to be in, in Cuba. Although, if you take a look at their, their, uh, their GDP, you know, most people... I think operate under the mistaken assumption that it's rum and sugar and cigars. And if you actually add rum and sugar and cigars together, it doesn't even come close to tourism. No, absolutely. I mean, tourism, like you mentioned, I mean, tourism has been, I mean, European market and Canadian and South American too, but I've been coming here for years and years and years. And um, of course, it's very good to have the American business because our product is also ready to cater to, to we have 50 suites. Uh, in our inventories, and, and Americans are, are you know like big rooms and suites, and uh, and we're ready and uh, and uh, ready for them. Of course, their your audience because it's Kempinski is expecting a five star experience. They're expecting luxury, difficult to deliver in this environment, but you're doing it. We we uh, well, it's it's getting better and better. We have, uh, as a matter of fact, I have two of my executives in Canada now. Uh, in a huge company in order to buy fruits, vegetables, wine, supplies. Uh, it's getting better. Uh, we have, with our hotel, because of the type of facilities we have, the rest needs to follow, means the food and the beverage. So we have opened new channels and we have imported many products which used to be not imported because there was no demand for those products. And uh, we, are, we, we now are catering and ready to cater like a hotel in Europe or, or, or in the States. Well, one of the biggest problems at any hotel, especially if you're in an island nation, no matter where you are, is sourcing. How do you source your produce? How do you source your wine? How do you source your seafood? How do you source, where does it all come from? We, uh, the, 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 a lot of seafoods come from Cuba all the lobster and the shrimps, for instance, and some of the fishes. But we also, a lot of uh, importers are bringing from Chin, from, um, from uh, America, not America, from Canada, and from uh, Mexico and uh, Chile and Peru and Europe. We have a lot of uh, stuff. So uh, we have enough uh, food and beverage uh, product in order to, to, to do um, first quality meals. And the government is allowing you to do that? Yes, we have to follow it. It may take longer to have an importation uh, license. Uh, we don't have an importation license, but we, through the uh, buying company, purchasing company of the owning company, uh, we are able to bring anything from anywhere. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. Talking to Xavier Dustrobats, the general manager, who uh, is an import himself, uh, coming in from where? Originally from France. Right. But you've been all over the Kempinski regime, if you will. Yes. So they gave you this responsibility to open a hotel that was really a brave new world. 
Yes, it, it was, well, it's the first hotel of uh, our first uh, entry in the America, really. So we're very, actually, we're very proud to be in Cuba. I think Cuba is a fantastic uh, city, country and, and Havana city, so historical. It is so close to our, our, our DNA, which is Europe. We are the oldest European company. We are from 1897. We are 120 years this year. This is our 120 years anniversary. So. Um, yes, it was uh, uh, um, a challenge. Uh, every opening is a challenge. Uh, but this one, we really wanted to make it right. We wanted to open as a Kepinski and not as another hotel in Cuba. A showpiece. And a showpiece, absolutely, a showpiece. This is why we were very happy that the owning company, Gaviota, uh, chose uh, the, the very good designer and the construction company, Buig, which is very experienced. And the hardware of the building, like I mentioned before, could be anywhere in the world, the first-class hotel. Now, there are a number of hotels uh, that go back, another, a number of American hotels that go back decades in Cuba that still have claims against the Cuban government, like the Hilton and some of the other hotels, and they're still trying to get down here and open Starwood. Now, of course, Marriott, they're doing something down here, but that takes time. It, you know, when people heard that the door was being opened by the Obama administration, they all thought, wow, let's get down there. All the airlines were flying down, and... And then some of the airlines have started to cut down their service or in some cases eliminate their service because there weren't enough rooms. So it's going to take some time. Yes, it's, I think we are creating, this hotel is creating a demand of customers who really didn't want to come to Cuba because there was not the level of service they are expecting. So, and more and more hotels, you know, Gaviota, our owning company, are opening uh, uh, next year another one, the following year, another, and only five-star deluxe. Uh, we have major brands coming soon after us. So we're really the first five-star brand to, to open, but uh, I can tell you they are opening, uh, they, Gaviota only is opening 3,000 rooms a year, not only in La Habana, and they are focusing now on this clientele, which maybe is lacking in Cuba, the five-star deluxe clientele. But a rising tide hopefully lifts all boats because the bottom line is you needed that product here. Correct. No, no, I think you needed this product. I mean, La Habana, Cuba needed uh, uh, a really uh, prime brand. Of course, it's easy for me to be prime brand, but to be really like a, I would say, luxury, really a luxury hotel. As far as facilities is concerned, and obviously, including the software and the service and the product, uh, not only delivery, but the product offering. And I would think, just in terms of infrastructure, if a guest stays at your hotel, you can enable him, them or, or him or her to have a luxury experience outside the hotel because of you. Yes, no, definitely. We have our concierge department have sorted out some uh, interesting, uh, innovative uh, excursions or place to visit. And then, of course, we, we have a program which is called Discovery. And uh, we our, our mileage program is called Discovery. And then once you have a few miles and a few nights, you gain a Discovery experience. So we, 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 we really focus on the Cuban experience in order to deliver this experience. One of the things that worries me is that, and people are saying, should I go to Cuba now? And I go, you know, there's an old saying, uh, historical designation of AD or BC. I go BKFC, go before Kentucky Fried Chicken gets there. Uh, absolutely. Well, the reason we came last year is my son said, Last year, let's go to Cuba before the Americans arrive. <laughs> and this is why we came in August and we fell in love. We, we, I didn't even know at the time. Of course, I came to see the hotel, but I didn't even think I would come back and, and leave president of Europe with 30 hotels for, for Cuba. So you see how I felt in love. And now you'll grow the Americas. 
Yes, we have another opening in two years in a small island called Dominica. I know Dominica. And by the way, a, a perfect uh, parallel to Cuba because Dominica doesn't have any good hotels. Nothing. I mean, when I say nothing, I mean, we went and did nothing. a television show down there. I love the island. But the infrastructure, there's one old hotel there. And that's it. Yeah, there is the fourth youth where we stay, and yeah. there is a few bungalows, which are really yes. class. But we will be the first hotel to open over there. And then I have also two more projects in Cuba, because now that people see that Kepinski is here, you know, they raise the finger and say, I also want a Kepinski. So we have two more projects in Cuba uh, on the sea. And the thing about an island like Dominica is that once you open, then you have to figure out how to convince the airlines to fly there. Absolutely, the airport authority and the um, and the uh, and the airlines. Absolutely. Uh, now there are some airlines, but the it's really regional airlines. And talking about development in Americas, if anybody here, me, we need a hotel in New York and we need a hotel in Miami <laughs> and in Los Angeles. Those three cities get away. I would like to have a Kepinski, and you can call me anytime to talk. <laughs> He's made the sales pitch on my show, folks. I love it. Hello. Uh, this is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. Head out on the highway. As I said earlier in the show, I've been going to Cuba since 1978. I've got a chance to see all the changes. But the one thing I never have done until now is sail into Cuba. And uh, joining me now is somebody who just did it with me. In fact, it's because of him I actually got to sail into Cuba. Captain Stefano Bonica, the captain of the Paradise. Captain, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. What's, you know, you, you cruise the Caribbean all the time. This is not a, an unusual route for you, but Cuba is a new one. It is. It is a new one. It is uh, something that we've been waiting for a long time, and it's finally happening. It is uh, an honor for me to be the captain of the first opening for Carnival, since many of my colleagues probably would have gladly done it instead of me but yes it's something new and something exciting something you've been waiting for so i'm glad i'm here and doing it you know in terms of, of of traffic whether it's air traffic or shipping lane traffic what most americans don't realize is anytime you're flying in the caribbean chances are you'll be flying somewhere over to, over cuba on the way to miami and your airline captain is in touch with cuban air traffic control they already have a conversation yeah. nobody's getting shot down same thing applies in the sea lanes absolutely right there's not no restriction or any problem right speaking very well so and they know you're coming and exactly yes yes but there's always the problem with infrastructure the problem is in the air in, in the hotel business there are not enough hotel rooms the airport is at capacity in havana that's why when they gave the rights to all the u.s airlines they made them go to other airports around the country because they couldn't literally handle the volume in havana you have a challenge going into that harbor don't you we do actually the ship is probably actually i'm in volume is the, the bigger ship they go inside and the number of passengers we're carrying as well. And I have to say, the port is uh, not talking about the bay, but the, the pier itself is smaller than the ship, as you have a chance to see when I we saw, were coming yes. in. ship's actually 75 meters longer than the pier. So as you imagine, and the, the pier is quite short, it's quite low in the water. So approaching is, uh, is a little cautions when you get close to it. And that pier, I thought it was interesting, it was called San Francisco. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Right? You saw yeah. it. And it looks like it was built in the 20s or the 30s. 30s, yeah. That's 30s. what the pilot told me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And when they, when they had ships in the 30s, that was a big pier. It was. It was. It looks like a little bit New York or San Francisco, as you say, uh, the way they built it. You know what uh, it looks like? It looks like a scene from a De Niro 
movie Gangs of New York. Probably, yeah. It's sort of like yeah. it's where the yeah. immigrants first arrived. <laughs> exactly. That's what the pier looks like. Exactly. You know? yeah. Same story, yeah. That's so, the first impression I had when I came in. Right. Yeah. What was the challenge of getting in? The getting in is not a problem. The, the entrance is quite wide, so the entrance speed was about six, seven knots, easily to handle. There was a little bit of current outside, which changed that action often. So with the pilot then, he was actually good on telling me that because you need to get aligned with the center of the channel. But getting inside and turning on the pier itself, the one we go, is a very sharp turn. So basically, you have to stop the ship and do the three, almost 360 turn to get alongside. Well, what I noticed when you came in, you not only stopped into the 360, you slid. A little bit as well. You yes. did slide. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And then you went in. You're a good observer. Well, I know a little <laughs> bit about, about ships. Sure you yeah. tell me that. <laughs> but I saw the slide. I yes, saw the slide. What about protocol? Because I'm sure for the first time that you went that you went in, I mean, this is a brave new world. Yeah, it is. Well, obviously, Carnival had uh, already surveyed the area. Uh, one of our captain, uh, which actually joined me for the first uh, ride in Cuba, was already there and had uh, the depth changed, checked and uh, the pier checked, the distance. Yeah, actually, we had to build a new way brand new door on the side to accommodate uh, the, the gangway. Really, yeah. So there was a little bit you of... You had to build a door on the ship? Yes. Wow. Yeah, it was... Uh, it was Some a, welding was involved. Yeah, exactly. There was a lot of people involved. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast on the new location somewhere around the world. Hey, Prime members, Peter Greenberg here. You can listen to Ion Travel ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, and you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus and Apple Podcasts. And before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com. The early 2000s was a breeding ground for bad reality competition series. From shows like Kid Nation, CBS's weird Lord of the Flies-style social experiment that took 40 kids to live by themselves in a ghost town, to The Swan, a horrifying concept where women spent months undergoing a physical transformation and then were made to compete in a beauty pageant. Hi, I'm Misha Brown, and I'm the host of Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. Each episode, comedians join me to chronicle one of the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? Recently on The Big Flop, we looked at the reality TV show, The Swan. The problem, this dream opportunity quickly became a viewing nightmare. They were isolated for weeks, berated, operated on, and then were ranked by a panel of judges. Follow The Big Flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Matt Norlander with the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, and it is tournament time, people. So listen to the one podcast that will cover every upset, Cinderella, Bracket Buster Sleeper. We've got it all covered, every round, reaction shows, all the way up through the championship game in Glendale, Arizona. To find us, search Eye on College Basketball podcast wherever you get your podcasts.